This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. again this is denny i'm joined with luke summers john wellborn callie hinsman and steve playtech how you doing guys doing good what's up denny howdy hey guys i feel like it's been a while since we talked uh how was the how was the argentina seminar uh it was interesting because we had a translator there and i've i've worked with a translator before when we were in ecuador about a year ago John, however, has never worked with a translator and doesn't understand that you can't just ramble for 45 minutes and then expect the translator to translate that. But the guy who did it there, Pablo, managed to keep up with Wellborn, which is pretty impressive. So anyone who's ever been to one of our seminars with John there understands like he goes and there's really no stopping him. And we call it, Callie and I call it wrangling the Wellborn because <laughs> sometimes it gets a little off. But it was good. Saying, what's that, Denny? I was going to say, it sounds like uh, you got a little bit of an echo in there. Where where are you guys at at the moment? So it's been a busy, how many weeks? Since really before Argentina. Sure. Yeah, we've just been uh, wheeling and dealing. Uh, found a location that's going to be a little, our satellite office in Newport. Because what John realized is between all the construction going on at his house, plus his daughter's, and I happen to live under an airport, as everybody knows, and I have construction and babies all around my house. We cannot get anything done. And, uh, you know, across the Balboa is popping off, and that's where we've uh, we've relied on most of our office space. And now that's full throughout the day. So it's just we needed some privacy or seclusion to, to get down and grind because we got a lot of stuff to, that for 2014 we got to put together. Life. So we, we put together a little office and uh, one thing we learned in our last location was uh, carpet by the beach <laughs> ends up smelling really bad. And um, I don't know why our office at Balboa smells so bad, but I have a sneaking suspicion. It's probably because Callie Hensman spends too much time there. <laughs> uh, so she, she wipes her hooves all over the Yeah, there's, there's hooves, mud everywhere. So what we did is we just had the guy not put in any carpets and then he gave us an allowance. And so Luke, Luke and I went and bought a bunch of uh, Pergo uh, fake looking hardwood floor and we've been installing it. And so we've just been trying to get this place up and running. It'll be like our uh, uh, warehouse and also our uh, distribution house for all of our you know power athlete merch. And then also to have some office space where we can actually come and get all of our projects done. I mean, we got some really cool stuff with um, uh, premium content and we got to finish up all the, uh, you know, the training manuals and the book and all that. And so we've been really grinded on that stuff, but it's uh, unfortunately uh, between traveling and, and, you know, running a gym and all the other things, it's just, uh, uh, it needs to really get priority. We need to get it out and all that stuff. So hopefully be ready by uh, early 2014. Nice. Nice. That's, that sounds awesome. So, you know, the Wade wads over, um, obviously the, the, um, donation is still up on the website in hindsight. How do you feel? I guess I can direct this more towards John. How do you feel about this year's efforts from everybody? And, 
do you have any, you know, any thoughts that stick out in your mind? Well, yeah, I mean, it was a huge success last year. We were able to write a check for $18,000 and our goal this year was over 30 and we ended up raising, uh, excess of 40. And that was actually pretty good because it allowed us to not only, uh, pay for all the shipping, pay for the shirts, uh, pay for the online stuff and kind of get all that taken care of. And at the end of the day, we'll be able to write our goal of a $30,000 check to, uh, you know, to fight neuroblastoma. So I think, um, while we didn't, uh, you know, we shot from the hip with this. I mean, we, we did it two years ago. We ended up, uh, you know, getting donations and giving out shirts and, uh, you know, for the donation. And, um, you know, I think next year if we do, you know, if we continue on the same platform, we need to get more gyms involved and build more global awareness with it. But in terms of this year, uh, it was a huge success. Um, I can't, you know, the, the shirts came out awesome. Everybody got them. I think Luke and I packed or I, you know, Luke printed the labels. I packed over 500 shirts in one day. So that was pretty awesome. And we were able to get them all on the road. We had, you know, our corporate sponsorship with, uh, WJ Bradley mortgage with my brother's law firm, well food company. And then on also it. on it, on uh, it. Urban, and, Decay. Uh, Urban Decay was the other one. So I think as we go out, we'll start trying to get a little more corporate sponsorship. And I think what's going to grow out of this is actually Wade's army is in the process of filing to become its own 5013C. So now we can actually, as our Wade's army go out and start, you know, really getting some corporate sponsorship and, uh, you know, next year your donation will, will be tax deductible. So that'll be really neat. And, um, we'll just be able to do a lot more. And the bigger piece of this thing is, uh, there's a couple contests and I think, uh, we still are kind of working it through a little bit, but the, you know, we're, we're going to end up tiring, tying the power athlete team series to the Wade's army and, uh, maybe, you know, allow the power athlete team series to champion Wade's army, which would be great. I mean, that's kind of our deal. And instead of making this just, a you know, a, a few months, once a year type deal, we're going to make it over the course of the year. I mean, of course we'll still have the Wade's army t-shirt drive and we'll still do that, but I think we're going to start trying to bring Wade's army into this thing in a kind of a, a, a longer time frame and see if we can bring more time, effort, money, uh, emphasis, and really, um, you know, do what we need to do to fight this thing. I mean, it, you know, neuroblastoma is, uh, the, you know, right now it's the uh, most unknown cancer out there. I mean, people don't know what's, what's going on. It needs research. And the really scary thing is as you're you know, these children are contracting this thing. I mean, we heard some pretty, you know, sad stories about these kids contracting and then parents going to the hospital and, the, and, you know, the parents are sleeping in their cars because, you know, their kid is getting treated at a hospital and it's far away from where they live. And so we were even looking at it, being able to, you know, be able to offer some money to put families up that are, you know, kids are in this situation, you know, because as a parent, you know, if something goes wrong with your kid and you have to go, you know, drive a thousand miles to a hospital to put him up and you got to sleep in the car, it's what you're going to do. And I, I, I think that there's been so much awareness. And I think, you know, with the, um, uh, you know, with the NFL and breast cancer and all that. And I, I think if we could really get behind and really champion this thing with neuroblastoma, I think it would be huge and, uh, you know, make a difference and, and affect something that would really, I think, be very enriching for all of us. Nice, nice. Yeah, we're going to get uh, we're trying to work on getting Will Jones on the show. Uh, the next show, he's he's uh, the he was the top fundraiser through the whole drive. So it'll be interesting to hear um, his insight as well. And if I'm if I understand it correctly, 
he has a child who was affected by neuroblastoma. I think it was his his, uh, his nephew. I think okay. it was his his, uh, his wife's sister's son. Uh, you know, was affected by neuroblastoma, and I you know I mean awesome deal. I mean the guy basically uh, trains out of his gym and you know, was able to really rally everybody around it. And, you know, um, we, we were more than happy to, 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 you know, make him our, our big, uh, you know, big push winner. And, uh, and then, uh, CrossFit South Bend came in and actually ended up winning the uh, team competition, which was hilarious because my wife was literally lobbying for team Wellborn to win and Freddie and then were battling. And then all of a sudden CrossFit, uh, South Bend like pulls it out and crushed us both. So that was awesome. I don't know if you guys saw the picture on the blog, but literally they drew a huge Wade's wings, uh, the uh, logo that Harry came up with, uh, which was, uh, you know, basically a cooler version of the one that I did two years ago. They basically sketched that on the ground of their gym in chalk and they, you know, cut out the figures and had it hanging from their gym. And so they, they did uh, far and beyond uh, a great job. I mean, I, I wish I could hire those guys to come to Balboa to, um, you know, do all that for our place. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see what happens when you kind of put something out there and people get behind it and what they do. And that's why we've been posting all the pictures and we've been so happy to get the content of people wearing the shirts, training, doing it. I mean, you know, Brendan Navarro, who I played high school football with has been doing CrossFit football and, you know, he's got a couple kids and does a bunch of tough mutters and he's been sending in pictures every year since we've been doing it. And, um, you know, I I got play text one up there, uh, you know, standing in front of his, uh, uh, his his uh, uh, college students with his. Uh, did you notice Play Talk kind of has a faux hawk? Working? Yeah, he rocks faux hawk hard. Yeah, faux hawk. <laughs> He's tight shirt, all gunned up. He's probably doing push ups before uh, before class, just so that the you know he's got a little pop in the bicep for the ladies. I mean, it's good. You know, and, and yeah, I know, you, know you do what you do. You know, I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> he's been busy. I, I keep seeing his commercial with Aaron Rodgers on TV. <laughs> Discount double. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I. It sounds to me like uh, Playtech's pre-show uh, routine is exactly like yours, then, John. <clears throat> lots of push-ups, lots of uh, bicep curls before you hit the stage. Nice. Yeah, you know, so we have to check extra baggage so we can bring John's dumbbells to seminars. To bring two hundred-pound dumbbells for shrugs and curls. Every seminar. That's a and lie. He makes, he makes Cali carry them. No, 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 no. That's a lie. They're actually dumb, sack. No, they're actually dumbbells that are inflated with water. So <laughs> I can I can take the water out, and then when I go on the road, I just fill them up, and then we do all of our you know push ups. I make Cali do a bunch of floor press, and you know do a bunch of manual resistance back. Have you ever seen Cali's lat spread at the seminar? It's like it's like a cobra. All of a sudden, she gets around people. She all of a sudden cobras out, and let's see, you know, she's got. Like, <laughs> This lat spread that if we got a big win, she'd take off and probably fly home like Peter Pan. <laughs> all of that is true. It's all factual. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, Callie. Uh, double check. <laughs> right? I know. You know what? I, I purposely try to alter my accent. You know, it's, 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 it's like asking the sun not to shine. I know. I'm going to try it right now, John. You know, I mean, come on. But I have to, I have, it's too much ah, right? So it has to be more like a European accent. No, like, no, just, just roll with it. You know, don't let these guys talk you down. Yeah, the accent it's is cool. Like, it sounds so familiar. It sounds so, it's cute. It's like the Portillo's, you know? You know, exactly. Portillo came to town. I took John, Denny, have we told the story on here when I took John to Portillo's? No, no. Isn't that around the Occupy Strength time a few years ago? 
No, no. It was, there's a Portillo's out here in Southern California. Yeah, it's a Disneyland. Listen, listen to how the inflection in Luke's voice is just shaking. Hey, did I tell you about the time I took John to Portillo's? <laughs> Let me tell you the story about Dickie Portillo. In 1976, <laughs> Dickie Portillo. So, <laughs> Portillo. Here's to his friends. Here's how it all went down. All right. We, I, my buddy Bo, who I grew up with in Chicago, was out here lived with us, and we we've just been craving Portillos. And uh, no, it's not paleo per se, but cavemen would eat it, so technically it is. So uh, it's Chicago, it's Chicago paleo. But so I go in and I'm like, John, what do you want? So we, I, I get John to kind of I forget what we were doing. We we're picking up the turf for the gym. Yeah, we we're picking up the turf for the gym. So imagine this: I'm in my truck, I have a trailer, and we have probably six thousand pounds of. AstroTurf. Of AstroTurf or, you know, huge, like three huge rolls of AstroTurf that's like strapped down to this trailer that we have that's basically kind of porpoising because uh, it's a it's a two wheel. It's, it's only a single axle trailer and we got too much weight in the back. So it's kind of like porpoising. I can feel the back of my truck lifting up. But needless to say, Luke's like, hey, uh, there's this real famous uh, hot dog place in Chicago and they have one over by Disneyland, we anywhere close? I'm like, well, yeah, everywhere in LA is 20 minutes, right? So we drive over <laughs> to Disneyland and we pull up at this place and I'm like sitting in the parking lot and Luke's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't know, like, give me whatever you would get. You know, like if it's if, if it's your spot, I just order whatever you order. I mean, I'm not dumb enough to, to go out on my own and you can go. Oh, uh, so yeah, so he's like, what, what you know, what should I get? I, I just have, I know what I'm going to get. So Denny, I, I roll in there and John's a big guy, you know, six, six, nine weighs like three thirty. Uh, <laughs> he can palm a medicine ball. Uh, but so I get in there and I order, <laughs> I order two combos, two cheesy beets and uh, 12 hot dogs for me and John. And well, we, wait a minute, 12 hot dogs, six each. Double you know dogs. what hot dogs are made of, right? Yeah, they're made from paleo. No, yeah, don't even talk shit about hot dogs. They're, 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 they're made from the uh, tears of angels. Exactly. Are, are Keep telling yourself that. Well, you know, it's Chicago style hot dog. Uh, we didn't finish it. We brought some home for uh, for some of our friends, and uh, but needless to say, uh, easily crushed the beef, easily crushed the combo, and then crushed two dogs each. And then we had some leftover for uh, for some of the people that were helping lay the turf back home. But dude, just making that order and spending like a hundred bucks at Portillo's just brought me back to the good old days. Did you guys get explosive diarrhea after that? Uh, no, I'm impervious to any sort of gut trauma. <laughs> okay. You know, kind of like Russian roulette. Uh, I never know what's going to happen. And uh, surprisingly, actually nothing did happen uh, other than the fact that like as we're driving, imagine like, okay, so Luke gets in the car. He's got like all of this like amazing smell of food comes out. I'm driving my truck with a, like I said, a porpoising trailer on the back full of turf as we're driving down the highway at like 80 miles an hour trying to stuff hot dogs in our face. Why, and, while watching a movie? Well, Luke's like, you know, I'm driving with my knees, you know, because things are covered in sauerkraut and mustard and I'm, I'm driving with my knees and Luke looks over and it's like, what's the worst that could happen? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, if we die right now, at least we die happy with some Portillos. Richard Portillo, Dick to his friends. <laughs> so now we've made up imaginary commercials about Dickie Portillo's. <laughs> but uh, so anyways, that's Portillo's, I guess. Now we want to talk. <laughs> so that's burning it. Let's talk about the the dirt bag or the douchebag rule. 
<laughs> All right, so what what prompted you to feel obligated to put that out there? Well, I guess I didn't feel obligated. I wouldn't say I feel obligated, but that, the the D bag rule is something that we do talk about at the seminars, and it's just a. Uh, we, we inter, interchange the term douchebag or don't be a dick role. Um, but it's, it's, we use it in reference to the type of stress that you put on your athlete. You know, you don't want to be a dick. And um, especially during some manual resistance protocols, you know, you don't excessively push on someone or um, also in terms of coaching. I mean, you just, you just try to avoid being an asshole because you want to gain the respect of your athletes as well. Uh, there's a time and a place for quiet confidence, I guess you could say. Um, but th- I mean, what really prompted me to write it was just that I've come in contact with a lot of douchebags in my time, a lot of good coaches too. But, um, you know, we have had a few incidents, um, you know, both at this gym and also at other gyms that I've been to in the past. And I think you guys are all familiar with that, like standard situation where, um, uh, somebody unprovoked can kind of behave like a douchebag or a one upper. And, uh, you know, I think when, when it's a guy's club and everyone's kind of comfortable with each other, that's one thing. But if you have a pretty timid client, um, which is the the situation that I was talking about in the article, uh, you don't need a veteran member coming up and, and trying to demoralize a person or, um, you know, basically be a douche and, uh, make that, make the athlete feel, you know, only an inch tall. So that's, that's just kind of the background on that. I mean, I think that coaches have a responsibility to take that person aside and, uh, you know, maybe that person's not aware that they're being a douchebag, which is really unfortunate, but, um, I think coaches do have a responsibility to kind of interject there and, uh, and fucking sh- tell tell a, an athlete or a client uh, a little something about gym etiquette, um, and I don't think it's it's in the forefront of some people's minds. Um, and unfortunately, I think you need to make that person aware of it. So that's that's pretty much just what what the article was about. <clears throat> nice. I you know I obviously in that article you, you're talking about the guy who's getting ready to pull the one rep max deadlift, and then that dude comes over you know, and acts like an asshole. I, I just, I didn't know if it was, that was the only instance that prompted you or if that was just kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. That's why I asked. Yeah. I mean, I had thought about writing something like that for a while and, uh, it's, it's, I think a situation that a lot of people are familiar with. And that was just, that was just one example. I mean, I see that stuff all the time and you try to very, you try to, I don't know, a, a thin line and, and trying to know when to interject yourself, but you don't want to come off again. You don't want doucheception, which is essentially you becoming a douche, confronting a douche. Um, so you just sort of, you tread lightly there and you, you interject yourself when needed. And, uh, that was a situation that I thought was completely uncalled for, particularly when you have like a, a one RM scenario. I mean, uh, it's just, it's just uncalled for like that kind of behavior. So, um, I mean, some people have a lot more tolerance for it than I do, but, um, I, I just, uh, when you're dealing with general population, particularly, you just want the environment to be conducive to people performing, people doing better, people excelling. Um, and if anyone's detracting from that, I will, I will definitely, um, you know, I have no problems with pulling that person aside. I'm sure you guys have people. 
deception. I'm sure you guys have uh, people like that in your gym. Yeah, me. Yeah, John. It's John. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I actually at the, uh, the, the when CrossFit had Dave Tate uh, come talk down in San Diego, uh, dude, uh, they were working on some deadlifts and uh, Dave Castro tried to pull like 500 and he, he like couldn't get it. And I think I went over and just cold pulled it like either around when I was like five or 10 times. So I've done it before. Uh, you know, I mean, I, dude, at the seminars, we, you know, there was a coach we had that used to do that constantly. Um, <laughs> I'm not necessarily averted to it as much. I think it's more funny, but I, I think, uh, you know, it could, I could see where, you know, that would ruffle Callie's lats a little bit. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I do is, uh, you know, get the, uh, the lat cobra flared up. So, you know, I'll, I'll definitely keep it to a minimum around her. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> well said that's uh that's quite the visual my my lats flared up over this Callie gets fucking uh you know a little fired up all of a sudden it's like the lats come out if you were to combine Callie's lats with my traps <laughs> calves and your biceps you'd have one meeting. no your calves do that no your calves <laughs> your calves up then oh. Oliver's calves then do I need to send a picture no, of my calves? No, it's more Marcos. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take Marcos calves. I think we have a member. I swear to God, we have a member whose calves look like uh, it looks like a it's snake. Inches. Yeah, it, it, his calves look like a it's, snake that swallowed a uh, like a rabbit. It's, it's like it's, his calves are pregnant with more calves. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a it's the type of thing where he's been and uh, Marco's uh, from Italy. And when he first came and started training with us, he didn't speak English really well. And so I remember like the first day he wasn't he was like in terrible shape. But he had these like monster calves. And um, I remember like now he's a pretty damn good CrossFitter. And he's pretty damn strong. But uh, I remember he was at Disneyland with his uh, with his wife and this guy like stopped him. And was asking him about his calf implants. And Marco was like totally confused. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, your calf implants, where'd you get them done? And he's like, these aren't calf implants. And the guy was like, didn't believe him. And that's because uh, this is Southern California. Well, I'm, I, and it was the type of thing where Marco was so like, he, he asked me about it. He's like, is that an insult? I'm like, no, dude, that's like a chick with great bombs and everybody thinks they're fake and they're real. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. I'm like, yeah, dude. Here's the I'm thing, like, John, though. Here's the thing about calves. So, so I've had the same question asked of me. I probably don't have as big calves as this guy you're talking about, but I have men ask me about my calves, which is weird, right? No girl looks at a guy's calves like that. It's a, yeah. it's a weird it's, situation. It's, uh, th- that's a lie. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Guys love on guys' calves. It's pretty well, what's the whole, uh, entourage about that yeah, where yeah. where uh, uh, where fucking drama was yeah. like all obsessed and what's funny I about it, it bro it's it's the uh, when Johnny drama was at the like at, at some party and there's a guy with a shaved head and he goes over and he starts talking to him about the calves that guy actually used to train at our gym and was uh, my brother knew him so and the dude did have jack calves nice nice <laughs> He, uh, I think he ended up becoming like the new Mr. Clean and I don't know if they still do those, but yeah, that was like his, his gig. I remember he used to train in our gym, but, uh, I think like yeah. easily 70 kilos of my 94 kilo frame is below my knee. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. You I have to get some pics of that. Dude, uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I mean, I, uh, I used to have, uh, fairly decent calves and I was very oh, proud yeah, of my sure. calves. And I ended up rupturing my one calf. Oh. And so now like, like the inside of my calf is gone. And then when I tore my ACL in my, in my right calf on my right leg, 
my cap never got back. So like, I feel now like I have, uh, I had good calves and they got stolen from me due to injury. So we were at a seminar in Denmark and this dude was, uh, trying to argue with me about, uh, that I was under prescribing protein in my diet. And I told him, I said, dude, it's a, a at minimum one gram of protein. And he's like, well, you need to be telling people three grams of protein per pound of body weight. And I was like, well, you're a fucking oh, idiot. Shit. I was like, that'll give you diarrhea. Anything over 40% of your total caloric intake from protein will probably give you the trots. And, uh, he was arguing with me and then he's like, well, you know, uh, all, you know, started to get aggressive. And I was like, here's the deal, man. And he goes, well, that's how much I eat. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's fine, but you're fat. And the guy was chubby. I mean, super chubby. And he goes, well, you have small calves. And I was like, I was like, <laughs> you want to fight right now? <laughs> it, it was seriously like, I was like, I might have small calves, but you're fat. So, oh my God, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. I would have just sat right there with some popcorn and a little pillow and just oh, watched that whole thing go down. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, it was like, dude, it was like fucking solid kick in the balls. I was like, damn it. Are you <laughs> and then, uh, I, I, and then I, John immediately from his phone ordered a calf raise machine for crossing the phone. <laughs> we used to have, so think about this. We had a calf raise machine at Balboa and uh, we used to use it. I used to use it every day and we used to do manual resistance calves with it. And, uh, I went away to teach a seminar and when, uh, right after we moved to the new gym and I came back and my calf machine was gone. It turns out my older brother thought it was junk and put it in the, in the back of his car and fucking donated it. And I was like, where's my calf raise? He's like, I got rid of that. I thought nobody used it. I was like, are you fucking kidding? I use that thing every day. So one but, day I'll have my own calf raise machine. But aren't, aren't calves genetic? I mean, I, I don't think I've ever done a calf raise. Uh, well, yes. I mean, I, I firmly believe that there is certain genetic aptitude uh, for muscle calf, growth. Calf aptitude. But I think, <laughs> I think the problem is, is why people struggle building their calves so much is that there's so they're like the, the threshold of training has to be so high because basically every time you walk, you're doing a calf raise. Right. So to actually get your calves to really like work, because you got to think of like how much overuse they're, they're used to that you almost have to like train them. And I remember I uh, downloaded an article that this guy had put out, like it was from like the fifth, like the sixties and seventies. That was his calf raising, uh, calf raising or calf raise like training. volume for, for calf size. And I think it was something like a, thou <laughs> a thousand reps a week at like a minimum of half your body weight um, with standing seated knee over the toe knee behind the toe. And this guy had this total thing and he had pictures of before and after his calves. And like, it was a pretty insane volume. And, uh, I remember I tried it for one week and I couldn't even fucking walk. So I was like, it, 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 it completely adversely affected our ability to just squat Olympic lift and do everything. Like <laughs> it, it crushed us. Yeah. So understand before someone goes and downloads this manual and thinks it'll make them better. It's to make your calves bigger. That's it. Yep. But sometimes that's important for guys like John. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, dude, it, it, it stole it from me. And it was funny because uh, actually there was a picture uh, uh, before I, I ended up rupturing my calf. And I remember my wife saw it. And she's like, dude, your calves are pretty big right there. And I was just like, <laughs> yeah, no, they used to be. And then they got stolen from me from the NFL, stole my calves. I think so. calves on dudes are probably like boobs on girls. Is that? Wow. I think so. I think so. Uh, no, I disagree completely. So, what do you look for in a man, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Someone who looks good in a singlet. Sorry, Luke. 
that's awesome. I've got little girl calves. Well, dude, I've, my calves. I've seen a lot of guys who were pretty fat and out of shape that have some monster fucking calves. I've and, seen dudes uh, who are like five foot tall who had big ass calves just genetically. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Nate, Nate Austin claims that he coined this phrase that uh, abs on a skinny guy are like uh, like big boobs on a fat girl. And he, he's like, I, I coined that. I'm like, you're full of shit. You didn't coin that. But uh, so now we're going to say what, like. I don't even know what the analogy is, but I mean, I wonder if there's a direct correlation between like, strength and the ability to jump and all that with, uh, with calf actual diameter. But I mean, I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, we know what uh, larger muscles theoretically could be a stronger muscle, but is that necessarily a more explosive muscle? Like, have you ever seen Olympic sprinters? Usually their calves are pretty high on their, uh, you know, like, uh, like, yeah, like high on the tip fib and they're usually kind of a high ball, but they really never really have thick ankles and actually, Actually, that's the one thing I look for in women is actually uh, I, thick ankles, cankles, huge turn off for me. Turn on? Oh, on. oh I was oh. like, what the what? No, no, no. Cankles, like tube legs. Oof. Yeah, that, that's a childbearing woman. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the hips. What are you doing looking at women's ankles? Dude, is this- I mean, dude, we see all these like fairly good girls and they walk in and I'm like, ooh. I'm like, it John, looks like he just extended their feet. John looks at women like from the 1800s. So he looks at their clavicle and their ankles and their wrists. And that's it. So uh, that's all I, he needs. I, I actually look at foot position and actually I look for a girl that's slightly pigeon toed, slightly bow legged, knock kneed, and, uh, and duck footed is equal to unathletic. <laughs> yeah. So. What's, what's interesting is the other day we were watching football and we were watching a college game. I can't remember, I think, uh, who was playing. I think it was uh, oh, it was uh, Washington versus UCLA, and I can't remember what team it was, but the defensive tackle who was playing and they were pumping him up was so knock-kneed and duck-footed that literally as he was walking, his like knees were clicking on the inside. And I, uh, I saw him stand up and walk over. And I said to my wife, I was like, dude, look at number 90. Look at that defensive tackle. Look how knock-kneed he is. And, um, the guy, you know, all of a sudden comes off the ball high and he's obviously a strong dude throwing people around and they were like, Oh yeah, you know, he's, uh, you know, uh, you know, like, I don't know why the NFL is not higher on this guy. And I'm like, cause he has no lateral direction. There's no way you can change direction when you're not need like that with, with that foot position. So it was, uh, it's pretty interesting. Like that was a big thing in the NFL. Um, I remember going into, uh, at the combine and them actually, uh, writing down whether or not you were, you know, slightly bow-legged, knock-kneed, valgus. And they kind of went through that. They talked about foot position, collapsed arches, and you basically have 32 different orthopedists go through your whole body and they actually write these things down. And I remember asking the guy, I'm like, why is that important? And they were like, uh, yeah, we don't like guys that with knock knees, uh, prone to torn or prone AC to ACL tears. And they struggle with lateral change of direction. So. And it just looks weird. <laughs> yeah, pretty interesting, though. I mean, you know, like the, the NFL is fairly adept at, you know, having looked and analyzed thousands of players and thousands of guys. I mean, to the point where they can look at certain body types and know, hey, this guy is uh, based on this body type. This is what we've seen though, these guys do. So it's- you there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's pretty amazing. The good and the bad thing is that. <laughs> Uh, John spent a good amount of time. Uh, you there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, John spent a good amount of time fixing everyone's feet on the staff and calling me out when I first moved out here 
for standing a certain way or moving a certain way. And now, unfortunately or fortunately, we can't unhear those things. So when I go to the seminar or I'm just, you know, out walking around, all I can do is stare at people's feet and knees and leg position. And so I can't I just can't get it out of my head. Yeah, no. And just from like hanging out with y'all a little bit online, there's a girl who runs in my neighborhood who every, literally every step, her knees are banging together. Her toes are all um, caved. Her ankles collapsed. I feel like kind of stopping and just telling her like, please fix yourself. You know, like, please so hot. go do something so else. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised Playtech just doesn't take her in the back and straighten her out a little bit, you know? I, you know. John, John, it's a family show. I was trying to keep it clean. <laughs> Technically, we're Technically, I don't what? get it. Technically, we're just as explicit on iTunes. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> well, she's, uh, she, she's ugly, so that's why that hasn't happened. <laughs> exactly. She's, she's, running, she's running after my calves. That's what's happening. I'm trying to get away from it. <laughs> yeah, you can't dilute the talent pool like that. All right, let's, uh, let's get to a question. John, you have a call here in a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah, actually, actually it got canceled. Five minutes ago. Okay. So we got a little more time. What else, guys? What's his name? Well, Rob, I'm going to butcher this name. How would you say it? Bousquet? Bousquet. Bousquet. All right. He wrote in and he asked, I took the CrossFit football cert in Savannah, Georgia, a few weeks ago. I have a question about using this program for a few travel baseball teams out of season conditioning. The things with these teams are they have players that range from nine to 14 years old, mostly nine to 10 year olds. Based on a seminar conversations, we don't do much weight training with them that young. What would you do with them besides running them through games like dodgeball or whatever? Would program workouts, would you program workouts using jumping kettlebells, slam balls, or just stay away from anything heavy? I would do. I would basically their programming would, uh, you know, if you're at the seminar, then he knows. And I, I didn't know if I went over this, but it would basically be a lot of what we call our change of direction, uh, our, you know, X, X, Y, and Z, lower axis, uh, body weight, and more importantly, a lot of our field strong stuff. So when I went back and looked at, uh, a lot of the old time strong men, and I remember I got a book about a lot of the old time strong men. And it was interesting to see every single one of the old time strong men, uh, develop something when they were young that allowed them to be strong later. So think about this. And it was all manual resistance. Like they found, uh, Alexiev working in a coal mine in Bulgaria. They, uh, you know, Louis sewer, um, you know, same thing. I mean, from, I, I think he worked in his parents' bakery and it was, uh, you know, carrying around the big bags of flour. I mean, I talked to, you know, like we talk about our field strong model with the football players growing up on farms. And, uh, I think what I would do with those younger kids is, yeah, like I said, like he said, ball slams, kettlebells, pull-ups, body weight movements, uh, you know, teaching position and posture. I mean, they're going to have their whole life to bang weights and to get into a gym. So we would try to incorporate a lot of our own stuff. I mean, even when we bring in kids into our gym and they want to play, we let them climb the ropes. They do pull-ups. Um, they balance on the rings. They want to push the prowlers. They want to, you know, slam the balls. They want to throw medicine balls. So, uh, you know, we, we have them jump rope. I mean, anything you can do, I just don't really, uh, you know, there's not necessarily a huge problem with putting, you know, a heavy bar on their back and doing that in terms of like stunting growth or messing up growth plates or causing problems. But I, I feel that, you know, 
we got a whole life to develop. And I think that those things, uh, you know, there's a time and a place where we can really hit that amateur window, but I think that we can prime the nervous system. And there's a, a really interesting article where they actually talked about priming, uh, the, the muscles that children that do some form of training like gymnastics and a lot of this early GPP training, the Russians talked about effectively primed their muscles to when they actually hit puberty and started strength training, they grew in strength and musculature faster than the kids that did nothing. So this was a, um, I, I would have to go dig in my computer and actually find the research on this one, but they were, they effectively talked about this deal called, uh, you know, priming, priming the pump is really what they called it. That it was, there was a, a priming of the nervous system. There was a priming of the muscles that doing physical training before puberty. And I think it was two groups they had that actually they, they had one group that they didn't allow to do any physical training before puberty. And then they had another group that did a ton. And it was, you know, basic like what we see, what really GPP is, which was that kind of, you know, tumbling, moving, training, pulling, you know, running just as base level of stuff. And, uh, just on a sidebar, I don't mean to get down a, a rabbit hole, but uh, my buddy Bob Sapp, who is a professional fighter in Japan, and he was in the movie The Longest Yard. He was also in the latest Conan movie. Uh, they filmed that movie in Bulgaria. And I remember Bob hit me up and he called me on the phone and he was like, man, uh, they do CrossFit in Bulgaria. And I was like, they do? He goes, yeah, like, 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 you know, all those CrossFit videos you sent me with like people doing kettlebells and running around and doing pull-ups and all that. He's like, we went out to this school and there was this elementary school and they had a 400 meter track and these kids were running around the track. There were kids swinging kettlebells. They were Olympic lifting. They were uh, doing all this gymnastic stuff and tumbling. And I was like, Bob, that's, uh, that's what the Russians call GPP training for since the fifties. So, you know, and he was kind of tripping out a little bit that, you know, this is what these kids do for their physical education and this physical aspect and this physical training was as important as their schoolwork. Whereas here in America, I mean, I don't think we have PE anymore. So, um, but the moral of the story is, uh, doing physical training with kids, uh, you know, actually, you know, putting them through something and making them actually do hard work and really, you know, train them. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But in terms of, you know, getting them under weights and start banging weights, I just would wait until they were 13 or 14 years old, at least into high school, just because, uh, what we've seen is that those kids that are able to kind of hit that deal, they can probably do better. But, you know, I, I also think teaching the Olympic lifts at a young age is, is real smart, like having them snatch PVC, uh, you know, just teaching them the bar pathway, teaching them the movements, reinforcing those neuromuscular pathways, I think is so important, you know, but teaching them how to jump and land and change direction and do all that. I mean, you know, hopefully kids learn that and they do it, but you know, I mean, it's like, I was uh, laughing the other day, there was a picture on Facebook and Raphael has his uh, little boy who's a couple months younger than Achille and Jamie. And he's out there in his diaper trying to walk on a slack line they put up in their backyard. So my wife being competitive, we ordered a slack line and we will we'll actually end up somehow putting that in our living room. And now our girls will be uh, doing that. But the new deal that our girls are doing, which is hilarious is they do handstands in their crib. So I'll come in and they're, uh, basically using the the crib as a uh, like a wall and they do handstands and like they, they started on their head and now we have them locked out and I don't even know why they started doing this but they think it is the funniest thing in the world so they're, they're hilarious kids but I mean kids want to be active it's almost like 
if you, you know, like my little girls play all day and I watch them, they come up with games, they chase, they run, they have these little uh, scooters that my brother got them for their birthday that they ride around the house. They want to like play in the backyard. Their, their deal now is they're trying to ride Louis or Pitbull around the house and he's not liking that, but somehow he lets them. And it's like, you know, as we get older, we become more sedentary. So, I mean, actually putting these things in, making it fun and not like physical training, but actually incorporating hard work in terms of a fun environment, I think is great. And, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, like kids go play sports that's where they really develop all this stuff so it's me on my tangent now translate that into spanish (laughs) (laughs) i can picture that guy trying to translate that'd be funny in a seminar well what's funny is luke spoke in like definitive sentences we want you to do well and then the guy would translate i want you to do this do this and like he spoke in like Almost like um, easily translatable sentences. Yeah, easy translatable like like instructions, instructions like like uh, stereo instructions. It's so weird. So, yeah, Luke was like speaking in stereo instructions, and the funny is like the inflection and in the and in his face, he was like overly animated in his face, and I was like looking at him, and I'm like. Huh. And then the funnier part was uh, that I get up and I speak and everyone I, fell asleep. Yeah, everybody did fall asleep. But the funnier part is the translator was phenomenal. I, I, I would like make a wise ass comment and then all of a sudden like nobody would laugh and then he would go in and then like three minutes later, I guess he would get to that part <laughs> and tell the joke and then everybody would laugh. And I was like, this is like being funny twice. <laughs> so it was definitely, uh, you know. Uh, it, it was interesting to say the least. I mean, it's, it's always, you know, the, the only bigger problem that we ran into in Buenos Aires, which is hilarious is me not realizing that the guy was, I, I just didn't having never worked with a translator. I didn't really understand that it doubles the length because he translates everything you say. So our seminar is roughly 16 hours. If we had done our entire seminar as we normally do, we would have, been at 32 hours, which would have been four days of eight hours a day. So we ended up having to, you know, kind of, you know, trim some stuff back and kind of rearrange and, and definitely, you know, cut some of the lecture. And it was, uh, I mean, and what the hilarious part is, uh, you know, we were literally, you know, had to cut some stuff out and do this and that. And we still ran at like 18 hours and went over and we were like, dude, this is, I mean, it's just, it had some really, really unique, um, challenges. And then we also had over 50 people. I think we had 53 or 54, maybe even more like 55 people at the seminar. So basically working 55 people through a heavy three RM, uh, deadlift or a squat and then pulling deadlifts and doing the workout was, was definitely, uh, uh, exciting. I mean, especially trying to coach multiple platforms and, but I mean, for the, you know, for the most part, everybody was really good. Everybody was super receptive, very coachable, very friendly and very, you know, excited to be coached and learn something new. And, and, uh, uh, hands down the Toluca guys that we dealt with in Buenos Aires were probably the best cert hosts we've ever been, been around. I mean, these guys were, yeah. Big, so shout outs to, to Lucas and, and Nico and, and those guys, uh, Martin. So if you're, if anyone ever finds themselves in Buenos Aires, uh, stop by CrossFit Toluca, one of their four to seven locations, who knows how many they're going to have by now, but yeah, these guys, guys, guys have guys like, it. yeah, they have like four or five gyms, 2,500 members. I mean, like their level of branding and what they've done for gyms, uh, should be modeled. I mean, like we came home and realized like, dude, we should hire these guys to, to run our gym. I mean, they were unbelievable how uh, they've done the branding. I mean, we were literally like, they have a, their brand is a little monkey face, you know, it's kind of mouse open, kind of this, uh, gorilla kind of screaming. 
and literally we're like driving and we see stickers all over Buenos Aires of their gym. I mean, so they give away stickers and people just put them everywhere. It was, it was, it was hilarious. Dude. We saw the stickers everywhere we went in Buenos Aires. So, I mean, these guys have done a phenomenal job and we're probably hands down the best third host. I mean, they picked us up, they took us, you know, showed us where the good restaurants were and really allowed us to see Buenos Aires from a, you know, insider place instead of just as a tourist. It was, it was, it was an amazing time. Nice. Nice. Well, that's 30 minutes, guys. We yeah, want a little bit for time. You got any more questions you want to ask? Well, yeah, you know what? I mean, there was some, there was some chatter on the CrossFit football blog last week on the whole, uh, toes forward, knees out thing. Right. And somebody even dug up an old, uh, video of Luke. He kind of looked chubby in that video too. That was but, awesome. Dude, I mean, you look like a little boy. This big rosy cheeks. You're all happy, right? You see you now, you're like, kind of like Keanu Reeves in the new Ronin movie. I mean, you got your hair, the top of your hair, pulled back long hair. Anyway, whatever. Um, but they pulled out that video and they were kind of using that as, as something to compare to what K-Star saying on driving your knees out, keeping your toes forward. And how Luke kept his knees forward while maintaining toes forward. And I don't know if if you guys want to elaborate on that or if we've kind of beaten that, you know, beaten that horse or what. But um, a lot of people kind of jumped in on that conversation and there was a lot of different opinions. Well, I think the problem is, is uh, most people are fucking it up really bad. Um, and I think, uh, what, once again, what happens is, is that people are obsessed with the fucking minutia of this bullshit. And what's that? And so, I mean, here's the deal. Uh, one, yes, you need to drive your knees out. You do not want your knees to collapse. So yes, the cue drive your knees out is good. If you are driving your knees out to the point where your foot is rolling and you are not able to keep your foot planted flat on the ground, you are driving your knees out too far. So much like everything is instead of using fucking common sense and being like, okay, I'm going to squat with my toes at a, uh, you know, zero to seven degrees straight ahead. I'm going to plant my feet in the ground. I'm going to spin my foot like I'm driving it into the ground. And so what I'm effectively doing is I'm actually activating the knees out, but I'm driving it from the foot and it's coming from the foot and the hip. I'm not like, and, and th this is the shit that, that blows my mind. I'm like, yeah, the cue and, and the cue when people are squatting, when your knees come slamming in is drive your knees out, but you're not driving your knees out. You're actually spinning your foot and trying to screw your foot in the ground. And so what happens is, and we see people do it all the time is they are like, literally taking their knees and they're driving their knees out bow legged and they're effectively rolling on the side of their foot. You need to keep your foot planted, spin it and drive it in the ground. And if you want to drive your knee out, you can drive your knee out as long as it is firmly planted in the ground. The other fucking problem that drives me crazy is, uh, your knee should technically be on the inside of your foot. So inside half, inside half of your foot, 
the problem is, and this is where everybody fucks it up, is everybody squats so damn narrow. They so, overcook and drive their knees way outside. Yeah, so, 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 so like I'm, I'm going to squat in a ballerina squat, and then I'm going to drive my knees out so that I'm rolled on the side of my feet. And then, uh, and then I'm like, well, technically I'm knees out. I'm like, no, every seminar we go to, I tell people, I'm like, why the fuck are you guys squatting so narrow? Put your, put, put your feet at shoulder width apart, and I want you to effectively drive – you know, spin your foot. And if you want to drive your knees out, that's fine. You can drive your knees out, but here's the crazy thing. Your knee is still going to be on the inside of your toe. I mean, on the inside half of, of, of your instep and your knee is going to track over your toe. So, I mean, knees for like, it, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I see what people are talking about. I'm like, it's not this fucking complicated. And then another thing we should qualify to, like we're not squatting for an upright torso, like an Olympic lifter would say specialize in. Yeah. But we're talking about direct skill transfer to sport. If, and we also see people can lift more weight this way too. Well, if, if, if you want, like it, for people that have been to our seminar, like it's one of those things where they leave there. And if they have any doubt on what we're teaching, we're like, Hey, if there's any question, come talk to us and I'll show you exactly why we teach what we teach. And it's all based off of our athletic, of our universal athletic position. The problem is, is, and, and you know what? I saw Ben do this for years. Ben would literally start squat narrow and he would drive his knees out so hard that he was effectively rolling on the sides of his feet. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm driving my knees out. I'm like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're not keeping your foot planted. You got to keep that big toe in the ground. If that toe comes up or you start rolling, like you're going to be in a terrible position. And he, you know, his knee ended up hurting. He was banging up his hip. And I'm like, dude, like your knees effectively should track over the insides of your feet. And if the knees, you know, knees forward, knees out, like to me, it's, it's literally semantics. Like I mean, it's I like I know exactly what Kelly's teaching. And the problem is, is I don't like either Kelly is not uh, portraying it right or people are fucking up the cues. And here's the other big one. If you're nervous about it, just open up your stance more. I mean, Louis Simmons teaches knees out. And but you know what? If you look at Louis, they're so damn wide that their knees are still on the inside of their foot. They're never driving their knee over the outside of their foot. Well, and the other thing, too, is that people will latch on to a cue like that and then take it to the extreme because they think of it as almost like a cure-all. And so they think more is better and they follow that uh, that linear thinking that, you know, knees out more is going to equal more range of motion or whatever the case is. It's not, it's not a catch all. It's not a cure all. And, uh, you know, unless you know exactly what the movement is like, what the movement is supposed to look like, you can like, that's where you see a lot of athletes just continually telling, um, or coaches telling their athletes knees out in hopes that something else might change within, within the actual, execution of the movement. Well, here's a bigger problem I have. And I remember watching a video and this is what made me realize that people have, uh, they're using cues, not understanding movement. So you watch somebody move and then you cue, uh, you, you give them cues to adjust the movement. I just don't fucking say cues to, to, to try to get you to do something that I don't understand. And a class example is I watched a video of some CrossFitters bench pressing and the guy kept screaming at the, the, the girl benching belly up, belly up. So belly up is a cue that obviously he saw from the West side guys. And the reason they teach belly up is as they are in their bench shirts, they drive their stomachs out so that they can bring the bar to their stomach 
and then they drive it off of their stomach. So the turn, well, they stretch the energy of the shirt and it also reduces the range of movement. But the belly up cue is because if you watch them do it, they bring the bar super low into the shirt. They, and they, they, they use the term belly up to remind them to drive their stomach up at the end of the bench so that they can drive it up and get it into the pocket. It's a cue that you, uh, that they use for shirted bench. And this guy is screaming belly up at these girls. And I'm, I'm like watching this video and I'm like, I, I felt like I was fucking crazy, taking crazy pills. It's like watching a bunch of people that are squatting well. And because Kelly Starrett says knees out, I'm going to scream knees out, not realizing that I'm completely fucking bastardizing the movement. So I think the problem is, is that, uh, um, we are, Monkey see, monkey do. Kelly Starrett, who is uh, you know a, a, a doctor of physical therapy, uh, Kelly had you know teaches seminars. Um, not only that, he has a very successful gym, a, a physical therapy practice, and has worked with uh, the some of the top athletes in the world. I mean, he's you know worked with the who's who and is a, a talented coach, but. He's developing a skill set based on what he's seeing and the cues that he is using are allowing his athletes or he's able to put them in a position to do what he wants them to do. Just merely uh, being an autistic parrot and parroting what other people say because you think that's what a good coach says is completely fucked up. And you know what? And then there, there's also, like we say, you know, at the seminar, I mean, Kelly talks about or uh, Kelly talks about the douchebag rule. Uh, our big one is, um, you know. Uh, don't, you know, have enough pride to do a good job, but not so much ego that you can't fucking change. And that's a huge thing. We, we, we run into people all the time at the seminar. Right. Their ego is so big that they cannot learn or more importantly that, you know, the way that I do it is, it, you know, this is the only way to do it. And I'm like, no, there's millions of ways to do it. We are just teaching one approach. Kelly Starrett is teaching one approach. Rafael Ruiz teaches a different approach than Kelly. And, uh, you know, and, and has successful athletes. I mean, there's, you know, uh, you know, uh, like the, the, uh, I don't know if you guys saw on YouTube, but Milanichev squatted, uh, 968 for a triple and a pair of wraps. Yeah. And yeah, it, uh, it's yeah, it's probably the heaviest triple raw I've ever seen. And I don't know. I mean, that's damn near a thousand pounds for a triple just in a set of wraps. And if you watch him squat, I mean, he he's he's carrying the bar fairly low. Um, you know, I, 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 Rip and I had a little dialogue and Rip's like, you know, he's sitting back and he's driving his hips. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I, I I'm, I'm not going to argue the minutia of what he's doing, but whatever he's doing is fucking working for him because that dude horsed that almost a thousand pounds for a triple out of the bottom. Like it was nothing. So, um, but am I going to look at Milanichev and be like, okay, Milanichev carries his bar a little bit lower than the, than the other big, um, I don't know if you guys saw, there was a big uh, Icelandic guy who squatted a thousand forty seven in a, in a pair of wraps in a single ply suit. And if you watch him, I mean, it was, I mean, the, the guy's got the biggest legs I've ever seen. He carried his bar, you know, base of the traps to a little higher. It set his chest angle, went down, stood up like it was nothing. I mean, so there's two guys that are probably the, some of the strongest human beings on the planet. And, you know, they have a different bar position. They're kind of doing it a little bit different. Their foot positions change. One guy's squatting in flats. The other guy's squatting in only shoes, uh, you know, and I mean, you watch Dan Green. Dan Green squats super wide. And uh, there was a video the other day of Dan Green down in uh, Australia squatting like 850 in a set of wraps. I mean, but you watch him. He's super wide. He sips back into his hips and he's got some really cool proportions that allow him to be fucking super strong. And the dude is a beast. And I guess 
And I guess to kind of bring it to what we were talking about, I mean, the things that those guys have in common is their mechanics are sound, you know? Well, they well more important, their mechanics are sound, but they found the mechanics that allow them to use their leverages the best. Right. So, so my leverages are different than everybody's leverages. And so the problem is, is that there's no one size style of, of, of lifting. There's no one size this. I mean, the Chinese pull different than the Russians. You can talk about the, the Russian two speed versus the Bulgarian bullfrog. And you can talk about all these. And the reason being is that everybody is set up differently and you have to find out what works best for you. It's kind of like, you know, when we go to the seminars and we teach people to squat, uh, I've had the luxury of not only lifting weights for shit, 20 years, 23, 24 years of my life. I've trained with all these different people, but I've also had the luxury of traveling the world for the last five years where I've seen thousands of people lift weights at these seminars. And we have from seeing thousands of people lift weights, we have what we say are inherent coaches eye into what I know looks good. And I know how to get people to do what, what I want because realistically, and this is going to drive people crazy. We are all the same decaying matter. You are not a unique snowflake. There's only about five or six things that everybody does wrong. And we know how to address and fix it. Not because we're smarter, just because we've seen thousands of fucking people do it poorly. And it's like, it's crazy. I mean, most people, when we go to the seminars, they squat too narrow. So we have them open up their stance. Um, I have them actually teach them to actually spin their feet and screw their feet in the ground. And if they're going to try to drive their knee out, it has to come and activate. It has to be effective in the hip and from the foot, uh, you know, big chest, bite down the rear molars, get the bar in a good position, create a stable platform, you know, and as you do it, I want you to drive your hips, you know, into a good position. And it, I mean, it's like all of these cues get, you know, are, are, you know, are universal, but they are applicable to each person. We go to seminars too, where, Somebody squats like they get underneath the bar and it might not be exactly what I want for me, but it looks good. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, don't overcoach. If somebody knows what they're doing and they're doing it well, who am I to fucking get in the way? Like uh, we ran into a guy that had, you know, carried his bar a little bit higher than what I wanted. Dude, his chest looked great. His chest, his chest angle looked good. I mean, I can't squat with the bar as low as I want because, uh, you know, the uh, flexibility of my right shoulder forces me to carry it higher. So then I got to make some corrections in my squat. So, I mean, it's just all based on what you have to do. And more importantly, what is the performance? What is the outcome? I mean, there's, you know, three different guys that I've seen squat, you know, insane weight that are super strong that are doing it different. Uh, you watch uh, Stan Efforting, who's fucking strong, like, uh, uh, you know, the Incredible Hulk. Stan sits back in the squat with with almost vertical shin, like he's sitting into like seven layers of gear raw. Completely different than those other three guys squat. And yet he squats in the 800. So, I mean, everybody's going to do it slightly different. And there's no one size, you know, fits all uh, uh, cue for this stuff. So it just kind of drives me crazy where people just latch onto these things and they just say, Oh, okay. Like, Hey, yeah, technically your knees are driving out. Now, am I going to physically try to drive my knees out to the point where most people are? No, that's not where the cue's happening. You know, that's the result, but not necessarily the cue because, you know, it's easier to teach people, Hey, I want you to screw your foot in the ground. I want you to spin those foot out. Like you're literally trying to rip your foot out the side of your, uh, your shoe is going to effectively drive your knee out. Am I effectively driving my knees out? No, I'm not trying to drive my knees out to the point where I look like I just got off a horse and I'm riding on it like I'm bow legged. 
it, it's just, it, it just drives me crazy. And like, you know, you have all these people that are, you know, arguing in the minutia and like, you know, the other one that drove me crazy is somebody, I think it was Bob DeConnell talking about queuing people to drive their knees in. And, uh, I, uh, I didn't see the discussion, but that's what I was told. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy. Who would ever cue your athlete to drive your knees in? Now you're watching guys that are super strong Olympic lifters as they come up, their knees are, are, are driving in is, are, are they driving it in on purpose or are they doing it because that's just the way they lift weights? I would think it would be, that's just the way they lift weights. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just the way they did. Uh, you so know? I, I read a little of that, that, uh, I read uh, briefly that discussion with Takano and, and that blog and all. And it wasn't that he was uh, suggesting people drive their knees in. He um, he was talking about the fact that uh, there's a disengagement of the adductors when you're in the bottom or something. So that um, driving out as opposed to just driving up may not have as big an impact until you get to a certain point in the squat where then that power transfer comes back into play. I don't remember anything in those articles where, where Bob Takano said you're teaching people to drive your knees in. Yeah. I mean, okay. Then, then I'm dead ass wrong, but I, I, I would never cue my athlete to in the bottom of the squat, like, as they're driving out, I think he was saying, you know, people are too over-focused on that. And I completely agree. Right. But you know, at the end of the day, like the last thing you want to ever have your knees do is come flying in and clap together. I mean, the reason being is, you know, that form of, uh, you know, you know, uh, torsion driving in is, is unhealthy for the knee that you need to keep, you know, the last thing you'd ever need. And every person on this call and everybody probably listening, if you had an athlete in the bottom of a front squat or even a bottom of a back squat, as they're coming out, all of a sudden their knees come flying in, what's the cue you're going to give them? <laughs> Right. What is it? He's out. Like, okay. Fucking end of discussion. Yeah. Now, am I now, now if somebody's squatting out of the bottom and their knee, you know, they go down and, and their, their knees are in the same plane. And as they come up, their knees are in the same plane. Am I going to, are, are you guys, or am I going to cue them knees out? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. So fucking knees out is a cue to fix somebody whose knees are fucking caving in. That's right. So the problem is, is I don't understand why people are cueing people drive your knees out when, you know, like when their knees are caving in. And I think that's where this thing is getting fucked up is that people whose knees are not caving. People are like, drive your knees out. Well, why? My knees aren't caving in. Well, it's seeing the movements in sort of a one-dimensional way, right? I mean, the same thing happened when we noticed that people weren't sitting back in their squat. And then what did we tell everyone to do? Like, stick your ass out. And then what, what happened? We disengaged the posterior chain. We had that hip flick. Um, and so it's people latching onto a term without really knowing exactly the mechanics of, of what the movement should look like um, and taking that, that cue to an extreme. Yeah. And, you know, the cues are there as cues, right? They're not, they're not um, biomechanically, uh, they're not biomechanical explanations of how to do a squat. So driving knees out gets most people fixed. Like you said, John, you get to the bottom of a squat, somebody's knees cave in, say driver knees out, all of a sudden they're actually pushing the floor apart and twisting at the hip, right? Their, their knees are they think they're driving their knees up. What they're doing is a biomechanical movement that's helping them push the weight up. Um, when you start like overdoing it, like you said earlier, people will start doing things like rolling on the outside of their foot and then they're jacking the whole shit up. And at that point you have to, I think with some people explain the movement and what the cue actually means. Um, I have some athletes that had that rolling on the foot and I'm thinking, how can I fix this? Well, I say, okay, well try and spread the floor. All of a sudden their knees stay tracking over their feet and they're squatting 50, 60 pounds more as a consequence of not being buckled in the bottom of a squat. 
So yeah, it's fi- no, it's fi- finding a cue that works is really important. And, you know, people yeah. overthink it, then you have to, you have to rethink your coaching. I mean, just like in education, you know, if I say to you, um, knees out and you're still fucking up and my correction to my cue is to say, come on, knees out. And I just say it louder. You're not a good coach, right? I mean, you have to find ways to get to each individual athlete to optimize their performance. We had a coach come in from Sydney or a, a physio. His name was Ant, uh, Anthony Lowe, and he came out and helped us uh, with some of our coaching and, and just observed. He was, he was a great guy, and he introduced a concept to me called, um, called overcooking a cue, and where an athlete relies on tension through a movement pattern and will continue to pursue that tension even after they've corrected their movement pattern, ultimately overcooking the cue. And what inherently becomes wrong is people confuse cues for gospel, right? No matter what, I'm going to say knees out because I don't know any better or it worked for me or what. Or uh, Kelly Starrett said (laughs) it. Or because uh, Kelly Starrett said it. So we've had had people people at our seminar that, uh, you know, we are good friends with Kelly. He used to coach with us. Um, we don't teach everything exactly the same way he does, and I've given people different cues, and I've had people be like, well, that's not what Kelly Starrett teaches, and I'm like, that's great, because I'm not fucking Kelly Starrett. I love Kelly Starrett like a brother, um, but you know what? We're not going to do everything exactly the same way. For everybody. For every single person. So the problem is, is that people think that there's this universal deal that, like, because this guy says it, he's the authority, you know, that's the only way you can do it. And a big part of being a coach, and more importantly, going around and listening to different people talk is deciding and disseminating what works for you, what you like, and what you don't like. Um, there's people I've trained with, I don't fucking believe a single word they say. There's other people I, I like 99% of what they say. Uh, Kelly's in that 99%, and um, but you know what? Here's the cool thing. We don't have to agree on everything. You know, like I'm sure there's shit. Well, actually, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things you guys don't agree with with me, but should we still work together and we have a general goal and we know what works? I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that statement. So it's like, uh, you know, play tech. You, you run into this with your students. You might like I, I remember uh, one one guy that I knew that got really good grades, read every single book three times. Yeah. And he said that, that that was the secret to getting good grades was reading every single book three times. The problem is. I didn't have the time to read uh, every book three times. So therefore, I would not get good grades. So I had to find a different way to study. I mean, it's the same shit. Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, no, it's exactly. Stupid. No, exactly. Okay, thanks. You know what? It, it, you, you shouldn't just freaking preach what somebody else is preaching, you know, because then you don't, you don't really grow that way. It kind of reminds me, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee. If you've ever read any of his books, when he starts getting like philosophical in Jeet Kune Do, he's got four basic rules. Number one, do your research. Number two, apply what is useful. Number three, disregard what's useless. And then number four, put your own stamp on it. You know what I mean? That, that way it, it kind of keeps growing and it doesn't become stale. You're just not like regurgitating what this guy said because of whatever reason, you know, even if he is Kelly star red, Hey, that he's a great guy. He knows what he's doing, but you know, the idea would be is to, you know, listen to what he's saying, you know, take in what makes sense to you and then kind of, you know, take it, take the ball and roll with it, you know, be add some creativity, put, start making up your own decisions. Don't just, you know, repeat somebody else's decision because they're, you know, whoever. Yeah. I like it. Okay, so do we, do we answer the question? 
I think so. Was, was there a question? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think we're good. I think well, we're good. All right, well, let's let's call that a wrap. And uh, what episode are we on right now? 33. 34. 33? 33, dude. All right, well, hopefully, uh, what else? What do we want to close with, Callie? Oklahoma City, Hawaii, all of our power athletes there. We're going to be, uh, those are going to be our final seminars of the year in Oklahoma City and Hawaii. That's the yeah. And then, We've got Chad Hamilton out in Oklahoma, who has been a fervent follower of CrossFit football for a while. And um, I'm sure he's going to be an awesome host. He's got all of his athletes following a rough template of uh, what we provide. So pretty excited to go out there and, and uh, meet with him. Oh, and then we're on Instagram or CrossFit Football's on Instagram now. So you got to follow us on there if you haven't already. Um, and then if anyone, for anyone who hasn't been to a CrossFit Football seminar, and if you're looking to go to a seminar, uh, the whole reason we're putting this office space together here is we have a lot of things to accomplish next year. And as part of that, uh, just to provide a little bit of structure to the madness, we're booking the whole year in the next three weeks. So if you are looking to get to a cert in 2014, uh, you're going to see all the certs that we're going to be traveling to uh, come come live on CrossFitFootball.com and CrossFit.com uh, here in the next three weeks or so. And uh, get in early because I have a feeling that uh, because there's, that, there's no unknown of whether or not they're going to show up to my city, uh, people are going to sign up early and sign up often. So. Luke, are we going to have that apparel uh, before Christmas? Which apparel? Uh, the like hoodies and stuff like that. Hoodies? Hoodies? Yeah. We're going to have so, hoodies on the storefront ready to order in 10 business days. It's pretty exciting. Perfect Christmas gift. Yeah, they're legit. I'll, put a, I'll post a little mock up uh, on the show notes as well. So, yeah, we got tons of stuff coming out. All sorts of exciting stuff. Aggressive expansion, boys. Aggressive expansion. That's what it's all about. I like it. It's. Nice. Cool. All right, dudes. Kelly, what do you want to come over here and help out? Yeah, uh, just shoot me a text in uh, with the exact address. God knows I'll probably get lost on my way anyways. It's not like a, it's a block away, I think. Kelly, I think check. I can hear you talking and podcasting uh, from there. So Check your phone because I'm three steps ahead of you. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Word to your mother. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks so much, Steve, Denny. Thanks, guys, uh, for hanging on while we – and and to everybody listening, sorry about any audio issues. We're just kind of in a bind right now, but uh, wanted to get you a show. Yeah, word. Cool. All right, boys. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. All right, thank you.